This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. What happens to a community when its only hospital closes? That's what Madeira, California, is finding out. Right now, I'm, I'm okay, but what happens if tomorrow or in the night I get sick? Like I said, the community right now, they feel like something is missing. That was Aralia Maceda, program director for the Binational Center for the Development of Oaxacan Indigenous Communities. They work with farm workers in the Central Valley. Madeira Community Hospital closed in December. The emergency room now sits empty. Labor and delivery services have stopped. And the hospital's three rural clinics are also closed. And more rural hospital closures could be on the horizon in California and around the country. 600 hospitals are currently at risk in the U.S. That's according to a January report from the Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform. We traveled to Fresno as part of our Remaking America collaboration with six partner stations across the country, including KVPR in California's Central Valley. Remaking America looks at how our democracy and our government is or is not working for all of us. During our visit to Fresno, we brought the community together to talk about the hospital closure. Here's what community member Madia shared with us. I really appreciate messages from the Madera County Department of Health about trying to share information about emergency services. Um, but people are already dying, and it's, it's a very sobering reality. Today, we're sharing part of our conversation from Fresno. In the days since we taped this, Madera Community Hospital officially filed for bankruptcy. California State Senator Anna Caballero is a Democrat representing Madeira County. She joined us along with Madeira County Health Officer Dr. Simon Paul. Dr. Paul is an infectious disease specialist. And Karen Palinelli. She's the CEO of the now-closed Madeira Community Hospital. We'll bring you that conversation after this quick break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. You've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card has no preset spending limit, so the card's purchasing power can adapt to meet business needs. Plus, the card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase, so the more a business spends, the more miles earned. And when traveling, the Venture X business card grants access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X business card. What's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This message comes from Wondery with the new podcast, Black History for Real, weaving Black History's most overlooked figures back into their rightful place in culture and the world at large. Listen to Black History for Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Let's get into the conversation. We started by asking Karen to describe the hospital. We were a full-service hospital. We had 16 beds in our emergency department. We had 10 critical care beds. We provided inpatient and outpatient surgery. Our outpatient center, we did x-rays, labs, MRIs, CT scans. Uh, We had uh, three rural health clinics, one in Chachilla, one in Mendota, and one on our campus. And the one on our campus also had a specialty clinic where we had 23 different specialists. We had, of course, a a big 73 uh, med surge beds and uh, an OB department, labor and delivery department. And so we pretty much had a full-service hospital. And uh, in our community, our our patients, our our community members were able to get the care that they needed there at Madeira. Why did the hospital close? Well, um, it's unbelievable, honestly, that our hospital closed. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary last year, and our hospital has proudly served this community for 51 years. Uh, When the pandemic started uh, three years ago, we were one of the first hospitals that received a COVID patient, and we were hit extremely hard. I mean, not just us, especially in the Central Valley, all the hospitals were impacted with patients with COVID. A lot of patients on ventilators, a lot of patients uh, that, you know, COVID patients were in the hospital for a long time and uh, it took them a long time to, to recover. Prior to the pandemic, I mean, we've always struggled. We're a small, independent, rural hospital. I mean, I know we're considered urban, but if you look around Madeira, it's in every sense rural. Uh, and the people that we serve, or many of them are farm workers and people out in the, in the community that are spread out. And we, have a, we encompass about 160,000 lives that we actually serve. So during the pandemic, when we were uh, we started struggling early on financially, we saw that you know many of our healthcare workers were, you know, not going to be able to work because they had comorbidities or they were worried about COVID. There were so many unknowns in the beginning. So we lost workers and 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 we had to rely on some contract staffing. At that time, it wasn't too terribly bad financially, but. As the second wave of COVID hit, the next year hit, that's when we really uh, were impacted the most. I mean, our only debt at our hospital before the pandemic was $5.6 million, which is nothing for a hospital. I I want to understand whether the pandemic was really the thing that sent the hospital past its breaking point or or whether with rising costs of health care, there was an inevitability to this moment, just that the pandemic sped it up. Well, I I feel like the breaking point for us was in 2021. We were really, it was the second wave, if you remember, of the pandemic, and we got hit twice that year, very hard. And uh, it was the time where we were really struggling to get enough nurses. There was already a nursing shortage prior to the pandemic. Uh, The state intervened to try to help uh, hospitals get nurses. And uh, because we couldn't get them on our own, it was hard to even find a travel nurse on our own. So the state contracted with some out-of-state nurses, brought nurses to the valley, uh, but it was at a very big price tag. They were $200 to $250 an hour. Hospitals are required to have nurses to care for patients. We were greatly impacted. Uh, We more than doubled our normal census, so it took a lot of nurses to take care of those patients. And most of the nurses that we had to utilize in those critical areas were critical care nurses and ER nurses. Well, I want to bring Senator Caballero in here because this is in your district. What was your reaction when you heard this hospital was closing? It was shock and dismay, frankly. I received information in July of last year and what I was asked to do is to obtain a $5 million in the state budget. We had just finished our state budget, and so it was a difficult time to go to the governor and to say, I need $5 million, and I, I get that 
Um, we didn't know ahead of time. Uh, but it was one of those situations where the hospital absolutely needed help. And so um, we were able to um, get a commitment of $5 million. And the commitment was to make sure that we could keep the hospital open. Uh, in addition, there was a, an issue about trying to get some of the accounts receivable paid quickly in order to be able to help the hospital as well. And we made phone calls and were able to, to get some resources from the health providers, uh, which is, are the insurance companies as well as um, from the state. Uh, there are, are resources for low-income patients, and so we were able to achieve that. The plan was to have a merger with another hospital. And so we were trying to get the, the hospital through a, a period of time to, so that the merger could, could happen. Uh, the merger was not successful, or the, the uh, hospital that had been talking to um, Madera Community Hospital declined to, to, to do the merger. And that just left them with very, very, very few op- options. And what's your understanding of why they declined the merger? Any hospital merger or purchase in the state of California has to be reviewed by the Attorney General. And the reason that state law um, requires this is because we saw in many of our poor communities hedge funds coming in and buying up hospitals that were under stress and then taking all the assets and selling them off one by one and leaving the hospital a shell. Many times the property that the hospital is sitting on is worth a lot of money. And that actually happened in Los Angeles, and it also happened in the city of Watsonville. And so the legislature and the governor set up a process so that the attorney general could look at the financials and also look at um, the services and make sure that the people in the community don't lose the services that they're going to need. The attorney general took a look at the at the uh, merger details, made some recommendations. Uh, the hospital that was going to merge declined to have a conversation about those conditions and walked away from from the deal. So, so that it 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 was a shock, I think, to all of us that it wasn't going to go through, and left us in a situation where. Uh, again, uh, state law requires that the hospital give notice to an empl- its employees that it's, it's uh, got financial trouble so that uh, the people are not surprised from one day to the next to find out that they're unemployed. The problem with that is that once you do that notice, um, people leave because they're right, rightfully concerned about their own jobs. And unfortunately, it was right around Christmas that they, they got the notice and, and decided to leave, which expedited the closing of the hospital. Dr. Paul, how has this hospital closure affected the community? What does it mean for people who may find themselves in a medical emergency or are are just seeking care? I mean, it has a huge number of effects that are pretty broad on the community, whether it's economic effects, there's huge effects obviously on the staff who work there. But as far as the health of the public, sort of the general public in Madeira, I think of it as there's three groups. You know, they had over 7,000 people in primary care at the sort of healthiest spectrum. At the far end are sort of priority one EMS calls, you know, a disaster that nobody has two seconds thought that you need an ambulance. And a lot of people focus on the, the sickest group, sort of the emergency care, seconds count kind of situation. But that's an area that we can address, and the EMS system has been very successful at addressing. The critical thing with that is sort of hot ambulance response time, and they've been able to maintain ambulance response time. And that's much more important than transport time. 
So yes, that takes resources. The other big problem is there's no capacity for those ambulances when they arrive in Fresno because Fresno is already over capacity. But it's clear how to address that problem and it is being pretty well addressed by EMS. At the other end, primary care, 7,000 people in primary care is a huge number, but there are financially viable models for primary care. Hopefully we can get the rural health clinics reopened, but federally qualified health centers are also viable. They've been expanding all over the valley and they're absorbing many of the patients and many of the primary care providers as well. But there's this middle group of people who would have gone to the emergency room now, but are now going to delay it. It's people whose heart failure is getting out of control, whose diabetes is out of control. And at the hospital, they could have gotten a ride from a friend, they would have gone there. But if it's a 30-minute, 40-minute drive, they'll wait it out at home. And they'll end up at the hospital, but three days later, much sicker and maybe needing admission to the hospital as opposed to coming back home after getting tuned up in the emergency room. And that's a very big group of people. And they also leave the hospital in Fresno. Many of these people are quite sick with a complicated follow-up plan. Specialists who are now in Fresno and with tests that need to be done that are also in Fresno. And the people who have the fewest resources are going to have the biggest difficulty sort of navigating that new complication to healthcare. We're discussing what happens to a community when a hospital closes. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture. Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins. And Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Let's get back to our conversation from our community event with KVPR in Fresno with this question from an audience member. I think there's a narrative being built around the pandemic. And, you know, this is all to blame. The pandemic is to blame for for where we went with the the hospital in Madeira. But there's also uh, some, some issues with the management team and the board. I think lacking the expertise necessary to navigate the very difficult issues rural hospitals deal with. I mean, other rural hospitals have not closed because of the pandemic. So you can't just say this was the pandemic. Uh, Rural hospitals have very unique issues in terms of negotiating power uh, with Medicare reimbursements, et cetera. These are very detailed, very technical problems that we really need expertise. We really need skilled people at the board and the management level uh, to deal with. So the question for the policymakers is, How do rural hospitals that are similarly situated deal with that issue? How do they recruit the talent that they need? Um, Dr. Paul, I want to come to you first on that question of how rural hospitals are navigating this space. Yeah, I think it's extremely challenging. And, you know, the simple example is it's like baseball. There's college baseball and major league baseball, right? And the major leagues are huge insurance companies and massive hospital chains. And if you put a small community hospital to go up against the insurance companies or Medi-Cal providers to bargain for rates, it's going to be a blowout. They do not have the negotiating power, the leverage to make a decent deal. And it doesn't mean your college baseball team isn't a great team and well-managed, but you do not have the resources, the depth 
to go up against these large players. So of course you're going to have the worst reimbursement rates. That's why they were working to affiliate is because I think, I mean, I don't know this, but my sense is they also realized you need to be a much larger organization to successfully manage healthcare. It's not what it was 50, 60 years ago when you could have a community hospital operating on its own successfully. Karen, I'd love to hear from you as part of the management team at the hospital. I understand the concerns, and I want to say, you know, we've been operating for 51 years. We have a very strong community board with very smart people. Many of them have been on our board for a long time, and so we have been successful for 51 years in a small community hospital. There's not very many of us left. Uh, I'm amazed that we've lasted as long as we have, honestly, because we don't get government uh, funding as far as from the taxpayers. We, we rely on ourselves. And like I said, prior to the pandemic, we were always able to make ends meet. And our reimbursement, it was always tight. Our margins were always very close. So we didn't have a lot of money, but you're right. We have no negotiating power. We have no other hospitals. And I feel like, you know, even the attorney general staff said in themselves that we're one of the lowest paid hospitals in California. Well, Senator Caballero, I, I want to hear from you on this because part of what I'm hearing from both Dr. Paul and Karen is, is a structural issue around reimbursements, around how hospitals are funded. From your position as an elected official, what can be done at the state level to fix some of what's broken? The Madera hospitals, the canary in the coal mine, have another hospital that's in the current district in San Benito County that is uh, struggling to stay open as well. And the hospital association informs uh, us that there may be seven or eight hospitals in the state of California that close this year, and that there may be another seven or eight next year. Um, so we need to understand the structural issues. And let me just say that part of what is difficult is a lot of the negotiation that goes on about um, how much reimbursement the hospital gets is private, confidential. And so um, I've been hearing a lot about the Medi-Cal rates and that the reimbursement is, is not enough. But interestingly enough for Madera Hospital, it's that it's not the Medi-Cal reimbursement that is the problem. Medi-Cal has been reimbursing Madera Hospital 100%. Um, and, and so it's 100% of what gets billed. Um, they're an exception because they have a very, very high Medi-Cal usage. And so in order to keep them solvent, Medi-Cal pays 100%. It's the commercial payers that are causing the problem. That, that's really interesting because the commercial patients are the ones that have insurance, private insurance. They're the county employees, the city employees, and the um, employers that pay for their employees or a match for them to have insurance. And those particular entities are paying a fraction. Um, I, I'm told it's about 51%, so which means for 51 cents on the dollar. Um, and it's those patients that have been fleeing the hospital and coming to Fresno. So, so what are the policy prescriptions right now on the table um, that, that are being seriously considered to try to provide some support for these important resources? The first step is that we need $1.5 billion to save the seven or eight hospitals this year. It's 1. huge. $1.5 billion is, is the estimated number. And the priority would go... To, to backfill the medical shortages that many of these hospitals have faced. That won't help Madera because Madera, it looks like they're getting 
100% of, of, of the reimbursement rate. So, but, but I'm, I'm hearing a little bit of tension in, in your description of what happened with Madeira Community Hospital and how Karen has described it. Because, Karen, what I heard you say, and please correct me if I heard you incorrectly, was that the Medi-Cal reimbursements were too low to support the hospital. But what I'm hearing from you, Senator, is that that wasn't the core issue. It was more this issue around private insurance. So which is it? Well, I, I, I'd like to add to that. I mean, honestly, if you really think about you know, our reimbursement. We don't get 100% of our reimbursement. We get about 20 to 30 cents on the dollar and with Medi-Cal reimbursement. But uh, Senator is correct in that we do have a lower uh, PPO insurance uh, population that we serve. Again, we have 84% of our patients are either Medi-Cal or Medicare. But Senator, I mean, am I wrong that I'm hearing some tension in the description of what happened with the yes. hospital? Yes. Please ex- explain. I'm trying to craft solutions at the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't afford for hospitals to close. And whatever the solution is has to work for everybody. But there are differences um, between the hospitals and differences in negotiating strength. And what the um, research has shown is that there was very little negotiating uh, capacity for the commercial rates because there were very few patients that were coming to, to the hospital. And so those patients were actually a drain on the hospital as opposed to the medical patients that were going. Um, and, it, and, and part of the challenge with the COVID situation is that many hospitals had a reserve and that they would use that reserve to get them through the payment schedule. So take care of the patient and then wait to get reimbursed. And you could use your reserves in order to wait. And that, those reserves disappeared during COVID. I want to go to a question from Caroline in the audience who says, I'm a resident of Madeira. We are a hardworking community, but many are uninsured. We need a community nonprofit hospital that is focused on providing good health care, not worried about making a profit on our health. This seems a perfect and extremely important use for our county and state tax dollars. What will it take for a community-based hospital to stay sustainable? Dr. Paul, I want to come to you on that. Are we seeing models either here in California or elsewhere in the country that seem more sustainable? I think it's extremely challenging to have a hospital in this sort of area that's financially viable and to just recreate the same hospital um, with the same contracts and to try and fund it through uh, tax dollars. You know, they also talked about you know, maybe there should be a healthcare district where you, you know, where the funds going to come from, raise taxes on the people who use the hospital. But sadly, what that would mean is you are now taxing the people in the sort of the poor, one of the poorest areas of the state to pay for their own health care, whereas wealthier areas that have good insurance wouldn't have to have a health care district. We got this text from Elaine and Ashley who say, we are OBGYN residents at a Fresno hospital, which is now absorbing Madeira's patients due to the influx of not only more patients, but patients with little documentation from their previous care at Madeira. We struggle to provide the level of care that we strive to give to every patient. It feels like a domino effect as smaller hospitals close, putting increasing strain on the remaining local hospitals. And Dr. Paul, Elaine and Ashley's question transitions to something we need to get to, which is how nearby hospitals are absorbing patients when a hospital like Madeira closes. Right. No, like a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, um, directors from a number of the different state departments, Department of Public Health and various others came down to visit, and we toured Madeira Community Hospital, and we toured Community Regionals Emergency Room. 
And, you know, hospitals are always at capacity, so, you know, you don't keep a hospital empty, so they're always kind of full. But I worked at Community Regional for 16, 17 years, and I've known that ER well. I have never seen it this full. They have whole hallways that have been turned into basically wards. There's bed after bed after bed in the hallway. Behavioral health patients, 5150 patients, people who are a threat to themselves or others. Those people, they don't have the room for the number of people that they have. They do an amazing job. As I said, I've gone to that emergency room myself over the last year several times and got great care. But the place is just completely, completely full. So how they manage to keep giving that care is pretty amazing. But that is a stressful environment for all of the staff and the patients there to be, to be trying to manage. Gretchen, go ahead. Hi, I'm... Gretchen, I'm a nurse practitioner. Um, I'm also full-time faculty here at Fresno City College and adjunct at Madeira Community College. Um, And so some of this has been brought up is that we've lost clinical sites, um, but just going into the clinical settings with students, it's tiring the last few years. It's been tiring up until the last few years, but getting instructors to commit to, um, to be instructors, we don't have them. Um, it's, it's a struggle to hear nurses say, I'm just burnt out. Um, and now I've been hearing, I don't want to go back to Madeira, no offense, but <laughs> I don't trust it. I lost all my PTO when this went bankrupt. Hundreds of hours of PTO. Maybe it'll come back, maybe not. Um, and, and we're hearing that not just this community, but around. And Um, The education part of it, of course, that's near and dear to me. And um, telling students, well, you know, look to the big hospitals. (laughs) I don't like saying that, but you have families to raise. When you go take a job, I'd love to see you in the communities because that's my background is in public health. But you want a job that's secure. Don't, you know, don't go to that area if you want to raise a family. And that's a horrible thing to say. Gretchen, thank you for that. So Karen, I'm going to come to you because what I'm hearing Gretchen say is even if Madeira Community Hospital reopens, how do you convince people to come back um, as as staff members, as clinicians, um, before we even get to the patient piece of it, how do you convince people that it's it's a safe, secure place to work? Yeah, I, I totally understand. It's uh, it's it's going to be a challenge. Uh, the way we had to close our hospital so suddenly, uh, our employees were greatly affected. It's the thing that, you know, bothers me the most. Not just our employees, but our doctors. And you're absolutely right. And uh, you know, I'm still here working very hard every day because. We want to fix that. We want a partner to come in. We want to be able to make our employees whole. Uh, we want our doctors to come back. We have to work to gain that trust back. It's, uh, it was, it's a very difficult situation, no doubt about it. Well, and Senator, from your perspective as someone trying to build the safety net for hospitals like Madeira, for someone like Gretchen, who's trying to figure out where her next job is going to be and maybe wants to work at a Madeira community hospital but says... I can't take a job that's only going to be there until December. What do, what do we do about that? What we're trying to do is to, is to craft the strategy, and it's a little bit like flying an airplane, fixing it while it's flying, because there's no room for error. Um, and, and so part of the challenge is convincing people this is real. Right? Because if it's not in your backyard, people go, yeah, but that's in Madeira. You know, I don't I don't know Madeira, and I don't know anybody who lives there. But um, what, what I've been trying to do is to have people realize 
that there are hospitals in crisis in their communities that they haven't heard from yet because the minute that you say that you're in crisis, it's when you see people leave. And we don't want that to happen. We want to be able to come up with a solution before we get to that point. What I hope is that when we take action on the $1.5 billion, whatever it's going to be, that there will be a solution that everybody nods and says, yes, we want to go along with this. Um, if you're able to get that $1.5 billion plan approved, would that reopen Madeira Community Hospital? Yes. But yes. just again, until December, that's as far as it would it, it's, it's not permanent because um, hospitals are expensive to run. And, and the real question is going to be, how do you open it, right? I mean, it's got to be in pieces because you've got to have the staff to run the different, the different um, services that are provided. And, and I leave that to, to people who understand the, how the system works. But, uh, but the goal is to um, save all the hospitals if that's fiscally prudent to do. And that means you've got to have board members that understand how the funding happens. Um, you've got to have people that are committed to it. Um, I would say the city and the county are going to have to look at um, where their employees are, are going to get medical service and make a commitment to Madera Hospital if it's important. Um, but but it, it takes everybody having a conversation about that. We're going to wrap with this comment we got from Juan who texts, I'm a resident of Madera and am indigenous Oaxacan. All my family are farm workers and have used Madera hospital services. We put food on people's tables all across the country by our physical labor, and we deserve to have access to health care. The leaders in Madera County need to pull up their sleeves and really get to work to reopen the hospital. Special thanks to our guests who joined us for our conversation in Fresno, California. With us was State Senator Anna Caballero. She's a Democrat representing Madera County. Also with us was Madera County Health Officer Dr. Simon Paul and Karen Paolinelli. She's the CEO of Madera Community Hospital and the president of the Fresno Chapter of the California Association of Rural Health Clinics. This conversation was recorded as part of our Remaking America partnership with six stations across the country, including KVPR in Fresno. Remaking America is funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Today's show was produced by 1A's Anna Casey, with help from KVPR's Sarith Hawk, Joe Moore, and Crescenzio Rodriguez Delgado. 1A's Amanda Williams leads our Remaking collaboration. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. ShipBob's warehouse management system can improve your efficiency, allow you to grow faster, and save you money all through one WMS platform. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. 
here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas, we've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR. <laughs> 